here am I. Thank you so much. It's great to be back to Eagle Heights. Good to be here today, and we're thankful for this opportunity. We've had a good weekend at a Amazing Grace Baptist Camp already, and it's been good here. Thank you for allowing me to speak to your teenagers this morning. I enjoyed that uh, very much, and I want to thank Pastor Francine, even though he's not here. I want to thank him personally for the great honor and privilege to stand behind his pulpit today and to be able to preach to you. Do you have a copy of the scriptures with you? May I see it today? You got a copy of the Bible? All right, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Habakkuk. So that'll take you about five minutes. And while you're looking up the book of Habakkuk, let me give you another greeting. I give a bring greetings from my pastor, Pastor Paul Chapel. And uh, he's been my pastor now for the last six years. I pastored for 25 years, and a lot of people thought, including my wife, like, how is this going to work, you going back under another pastor? But uh, it probably wouldn't have worked good if I had a bad pastor, but I got a really good pastor. So I, I, I like my pastor. I love my pastor, and I praise the Lord for Lancaster Baptist Church. And I'm thankful for West Coast Baptist College. We have thoroughly enjoyed being there the last six years. Um, I, I will tell you, I, can, I think if you cut me, I bleed pastor. I really do. Uh, but I am going to tell you that the Lord, these last six years, having a chance to put a fingerprint on the next generation of young people. And, uh, you know, we've got six, 700 college students and they are just so focused and so on fire for God. And what a joy it is. Um, I love everything I do. I love my teaching. Uh, <laughs> they made me dean of students besides uh, vice president. You know, I'm vice president of student affairs. So I'm also the director of student activities. So in other words, I give them all their funnest times there. And then I give them demerits for having it because I'm the dean of students, you know. <laughs> So I get like, what a spectrum. And the only spectrum I can compare it to is pastoring. And I feel like I'm pastoring a bunch of college kids. And we love it and thoroughly enjoy being there. Uh, I have three sons, Ben, Luke, and Drew. They're all in the ministry. Uh, They're all serving the Lord, and we're thankful for that. My oldest is an evangelist. He's traveling all over the country. Matter of fact, he says, Dad, don't call me an evangelist. I'm an apologetist. And I don't know what that means, but he's out there defending the faith somewhere. Uh, debating with people all the time. He's really had some great opportunities, though. Uh, he's had the opportunity to do a lot of stuff with Ken Ham in, uh, uh, at the Creation Museum, and he's done uh, uh, things at the Reagan National Library. He's been on TV a lot, and uh, Ben's just got a lot of doors opening for him right now. My middle son helps us in the ministry. He's special needs. Uh, God made him in a special way, but he's in full-time ministry, and we're thankful that he's working in the college and the church, probably will live with us all of his uh, life, and if I had any one of my three sons to live with, Luke would have been my choice, no doubt about it, and my uh, youngest son has been working with a church plant in Castle Rock, Colorado for the last uh, three years, and has just, he's still in the church, but has just stepped out by faith and started a Christian film and video company, and we're really excited about what he's doing. Um, we brought some materials. Now, i got to tell you, I almost sold all my, all my books and everything at the conference, but I have a lot of CDs. And I'll tell you what I'll do. Um, we don't usually do this. They're so $10 a piece, or I'll sell three for 25 I love the music at West Coast. And you got to have good Christian music in your home, in your car, or whatever. And let me encourage you to go buy. That's a really good deal to sell three for the 25 Maybe some of you will take that on. on. Have you found Habakkuk yet? 
Are you all there? All right. So let's turn to the book of Habakkuk. Now, I teach about 11 different classes, not all the same semester, but I teach about 11 different courses. And people ask me all the time, Brother Shetler, what's your favorite class that you teach? And I tell them the one I'm in the class at that moment. I love all my classes. I love youth philosophy, introduction to biblical counseling, homiletics three. I love the book of Joshua. I really love the book of Joshua. I love that class. I I love Bible doctrines. I love all the things I teach. But on Monday nights, every other semester, I teach a class called Minor Prophets. And I really enjoy the Minor Prophets. I think for two reasons. One, every one of the attributes of God are found in these 12 books. By the way, St. Augustine is the one who named them the Minor Prophets. I think that's a misomer. I, they're, they're not, they're, they weren't written by guys that were under 18 years of age. And they're definitely not, it's not that they're not important. They're extremely important. They used to be called the Book of the Twelve. And uh, they put them in uh, all together so they wouldn't lose them in the Torah. That would still be the case, that they are the Book of the Twelve. And they are just incredible examples of the attributes of God. We're going to look at some of that today. But um, the other reason why I love teaching minor prophets is because students don't know anything about it. So every night, when we start another book, uh, last week we did uh, Nahum, and actually we did uh, Habakkuk. Uh, Last week we did Nahum and Habakkuk. And I asked them at the beginning of every book. I said, okay, what do you know about the book of Nahum? And they don't know anything about the book of Nahum. And my title for Nahum is Nahum is not Ho-Hum. It's really, uh, it's quite a powerful book of the destruction of Nineveh. Uh, but they don't know anything. They know some things about Jonah, you know, but that's about it. And I come to Habakkuk and they don't know anything about Habakkuk. Now, Habakkuk's a really interesting book. Because these are 12 uh, prophets, they're usually speaking for God to man. Habakkuk does not speak to man. It's the only prophet. He's actually struggling with God. And so it's a conversation, basically the book is, between him and God. So it makes it very, it's a, it's a different kind of book along that line. But I'll tell you the key to the book. I've entitled the book, The Perplexed Prophet. This guy's got a struggle. And his struggle is why? Have you ever wondered why God does what he does? Has anything ever happened in your life? Maybe it's very tragic. Maybe it's horrific. Maybe it's something like, you know what? You're making kind of fun of this, but I'll tell you, Brother Scheller, I struggle with why God does this or why God does that. If you've been in this country for any amount of time, I'm 61. I've been here for six decades. Wow. I'm wondering why, God, why is this happening in our land? And uh, there's a lot of why questions we can't answer. And so Habakkuk is asking why, but he comes to an answer. And we're going to look at that today, uh, the perplexed prophet. Now, I'll tell you what I need. I'm going to give you the whole book in the definition of his name. But you can't go to sleep afterwards, okay? This is really the whole book. It really is. So I'm going to ask Pastor Joe, Pastor Joe, will you come and help me? We're going to act out the name of Habakkuk, all right? And uh, you're going to like this. Come on up here, Pastor Joe. Uh, Habakkuk's name means to wrestle. That's what his name means. 
Habakkuk's name means everyone together. Wrestle. You look it up in the Hebrew, you look it up in your Strong's Concordance. His name means to wrestle. And you know what? Habakkuk wrestled with God. So, here we go. Here we go. We're going to wrestle a little bit. Ooh, Joe's wrestling. Ooh, Joe, you're doing good. Joe, Joe. We're wrestling. Joe's winning. I'm wrestling. We're wrestling. Okay, now, his name means everyone together. However, if you look up the word, there are places in the Torah that it means to wrestle. But the same Hebrew word that means to wrestle also means to embrace. It's the same word. The word to wrestle is also the word to embrace. So here's what happens in this book. In the first chapter, he is wrestling with God. But at the end, he embraces God. Okay, thank you. Joe, you can go sit down. You say, Brother Sheldon, can we go to sleep now? We understand the book. Because the book is from wrestling with God to embracing God. He goes, now here it is. He goes from a why to a who. I want to say that again. He goes, God, why? God, why are you doing this? God, why is this happening in our land? Why are you allowing this? God, why? And he goes from why. And he gets rid of the why. And he says, you know, God, it's who. I don't need to know why. I need to know who. And I will tell you in life, it isn't the answers to the whys that we need. It's the understanding of the who. And he goes from a why to a who. Now, now I do not know of another book in the entire canon of Scripture that has more of a contrast between the first two verses and the last three verses of this book. So that's where we're going to start. I'm going to read the first two verses. We're going to go over to the last three verses of the book, and then we're going to have a word of prayer. You, I, I challenge you to give me another book in the scriptures that have more of a contrast than these two. That's because he went from why to who. All right, look at Habakkuk chapter one, verse number one. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. Oh, let's read verse 3 because it's part of it. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance for spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that rise up strife and contention. God, why is this happening? Go to chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Now, this happens to be one of my top 10 favorite passages of the Old Testament. I love this passage. Chapter 3, Verse 17 through 19. Here we go. You ready? Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. 
the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the, in the stalls. Okay, Brother Scheller, then you're really sadistic. If this is one of your favorite, that is like the worst verse in the Bible. There's no, there, there's no figs in the tree. There's no blossoms. There's no fruit in the vines. There's no olive. There's, there's no sheep in the fields. There's no ox in the, there, there are no sheep in the folds. There's no sheep. There's no oxen in the, that's like the worst verse in the Bible. Look at the next verse. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like hinds feet and he will make me to walk upon my high places to the chief singer on my stringed instrument. Now I'm going to tell you something. First three verses of this book, he is, God, what are you doing? God, why is this happening in Israel? Last three verses, you know what? I don't need to know why. I'm just holding on to you, God. All I need is you. I want to tell you, our life is not about what happens. And our life is not trying to figure out whys. Our life is understanding who God is. And when Habakkuk understood who God was, his life was taken care of. I don't know what you're going through in your life right now. But I guarantee you there's probably a why. God, why did this happen in our marriage? Why is this happening with our kids? Why is this going on health-wise? Why is this finance? Lord, why, why is our country the way it is? I'm going to ask you to do something today. I'm going to ask you to stop struggling with God and start realizing who he is and hold on to him. Go from struggling to embracing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I have no idea who's in here today. I have no idea the whys that they may have. I, I, this is what I think you put on my heart. I pray, Lord, that we will never see Habakkuk the same way, but I'll, I pray that we'll never see you the same way. Lord, I think some of us struggle with you. I think I do sometimes, and I just go, God, why are you doing this? What's going on? And you know what, Father? I just need to hold on to you. And I pray, Lord, for Eagle Heights and the members in this flock that, Lord, whatever struggle of why, and it could be a teenager going like, God, why did you make me this way? Why'd you, why'd you make me this gender? Why did you not do this or do this? God, may today we not be about answers to why. May we just want to hold on to who you are. Father, I pray that sometimes we get perplexed. We, we just can't follow the script. But Lord, today, may we stop struggling and may we start holding on. We'll give you the praise and glory for what you're going to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And God's children said, amen. amen. All right, well, let's look at our book, okay? Chapter one, why was the prophet troubled? Why was the prophet troubled? All right, so here we go. Chapter 1, verse 1. The burden which Habakkuk... I'm not, now, I'm going to need your help throughout the message, so you guys got to respond to me, all right? 
The burden which Habakkuk the prophet, everyone together, what's the next two words? Did see. Why did Habakkuk struggle? Number one, because he was looking with these eyes instead of these eyes. Now hear me. You will struggle in life if you only look at life through these eyes. If you do not see life through the eyes of faith, you will struggle in your life. See, he's looking around. And as he's looking around, he's seeing, God, why is this going on? What's going on here? God, what's going on? Look at our country. God, what a mess. He's looking with these eyes. Stop looking at your life through physical eyes and start looking at life through the eyes of faith. You know what, God? Right now, if I look at my children, it don't look good. If I look at this health situation right now with these eyes, it's like, boy, I'll tell you what the doctors are saying. This is what's going on right now. If I look at my life through the eyes of, that I have here, and I, I look at my checkbook, and I look at my finance, God, I got problems. But you know what? Stop looking with those eyes. Start believing in God. And he, he says, did see. Now, we're not done yet. Why was the prophet troubled? Well, number one, because he was looking with the wrong eyes, physical eyes. Number two, help me out again. Oh, Lord, everyone together, what's the next two words? How long? You will struggle if you're on a different timetable than God's. You will struggle. You are going to struggle if you are not on God's timetable. Now, I'll tell you who I, I, I really like. It's a minor Bible character, a guy that's not mentioned much in the Bible, but I really love this guy. His name is Enoch. And there's something about, that's mentioned about Enoch that I love. It's mentioned twice. Enoch did not walk before God, and Enoch did not walk behind God. The Bible says Enoch, what? Walked with God. Now, I have to tell you, I'm just being transparent. Most of my Christian life, I've been before God. Catch up to my plans. Or there's been a few times I go like, God, do you really want me to do this? I have to say transparently, I'm not positive most of my life has been with him. I think I've been kind of either before him or behind him. And you know what? If you're before God, you're struggling. God, why come on? Let's get going, God. We got things to do at Eagle Heights and you need to catch up with our plans. Well, you're going to struggle. Some of you are dragging your feet about something. I know what God wants me to do, but I'm just not ready to do it yet. I guarantee you're going to struggle and be troubled. You got to walk with God. Notice what he says. Oh, Lord, how long? Come on, God. Get with the program. How long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear, even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save? God, let's get moving. You know what? You will trouble. You will be a troubled soul if you only look at life with your physical eyes. You will be a troubled soul if you're not on the timetable with God. But this is my favorite, okay? Listen to verse 3 and 4. What does it remind you of? Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me. 
And there are that raise up strife and contention. Oh, God. Therefore, the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore, wrong judgment proceedeth. You know why this prophet was troubled? Yeah, he was looking with the wrong eye. Yep. It's because he was on the wrong. Yep. Let me tell you the third reason. This is my favorite. You know why he was troubled? He was watching too much CNN news. You know what Habakkuk's problem is? He watched Hannity more than he watched the Bible. He was in Fox News way more than in the Bible. You say, Brother Shatler, read verse 3 and 4 for just a moment. Read it. Just look down in your Bible, read verse 3 and 4, and you tell me if that is not everything you saw on CNN News this week. You look at verse 3 and 4, and if that does not describe Fox News every day, just read it. Just go through there about the judgment being slacked and this not happening and violence and the, the wicked are overcoming the righteous. Is that not CNN News and, 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 and everything else? You know what? I'm serious. You will be a troubled soul if you're listening to more news than you are in God's word. You will be a troubled soul. This guy is struggling. And I think the third reason why he's struggling is he's watching too much news. Okay, so then verse 5, God speaks. So here's what we've got. First four verses. God, why haven't you done anything? Why are you letting Israel get by with all this? God, why don't you judge our nation? Verse 5, God says, okay, Habakkuk, I'll take care of it. Behold, ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously. Ooh, way to go, God. You're going to do something. Yeah, I'm sure am. For I will work a work in your days. <laughs> I knew you would do something, God, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. Oh, God, I believe it, man. You're the best. For lo, okay, God, tell me, what are you going to do? I will rise up the Chaldeans. You know what? I looked that up in the Hebrew. You know what that is? Isis. Okay. (laughs) For lo, I will rise up Isis, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall move through the breath of the land, to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and they're dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from far. They shall fly as the eagle that hastes to eat. They shall come all for violence Their faces shall sup up as the east wind, and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. Habakkuk is going, why are you doing this? Okay, America's messed up. Okay, we got problems in America. But now you're going to take a nation that's more ungodly and more wicked and more evil than us, and you're going to judge us with a more... Okay, I really don't understand why you're doing this. 
Do you get the problem here? So here's what we have. God finally says, okay, Habakkuk, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Well, good, God, because I've been kind of wondering why you've been letting us get by with this. I'm going to judge Israel. Well, good, that's what I've been praying. Why haven't you judged it? And I'm going to judge them with Chaldeans. Whoa, what are you doing? Have you ever struggled with a why only for God to answer it with more of a question? It's like, God, okay, God, I don't understand what you did with our health thing, but it's like things are worse now. What are you doing, God? Why are you doing this? Now he is really, really wrestling with God. And he is really struggling. And so what do you do when you really struggle? You hear me, Eagle Heights? Because we all do this. We start making up a new God. But we do it by using the God we do know is true. And you say, I'm not positive I know what you're talking about. So here's what he does. So he begins, so he answers back to God. Verse 12. Oh, oh, oh. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God? You're an everlasting God, aren't you? You're a covenant God, Jehovah. You're Elohim. You're the all-sufficient God, God. And Holy One, you are holy. That means you can't do wrong. We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them, the Chaldeans, for judgment. And O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. No, 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 God. I know who you are. And you're going to judge the Chaldeans. Thou, now look at verse 13. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil. Uh uh-uh. uh. I know you can't do this. And canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously and holdest thy, thy tongue? No, no. I know you can't do this, God, because you're holy and, and you're of purer eyes. And make us men as the fish. No, 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 no. This can't happen. Okay, so now here's what happens. This is where it gets. And I know I'm kind of energetic and I know I'm saying this light. But guys, this is very profound right now. So here's what begins to happen. When we can't answer that why question in our life, we start taking his attributes and we start creating a God with his attributes And we tell him the way he's supposed to do it. Okay, God, our family has honored you. Our family has tithed all these years. Our our marriage has done that. You know, God, you are a righteous God, and you would not allow this to happen. Why are you doing this? So we're using his attributes to create the God we think we ought to have. That is exactly what's going on here. He is telling God everything that God is, but he's doing it through his eyes. And he's saying, God, you need to do it this way. I'm going to tell you something. Teenagers do this. They actually know kind of a little bit about their God. And they look in the mirror, or this happens, or that happens, and they say, hey, if you are this God that's supposed to love us, why is this happening in my life? Why are you allowing these things to occur in my life if you really are a good God? Man, he's struggling. But the problem is, he wants to know why. 
He's struggling and fighting God. You're going to have to tell me why. So chapter 1, we see the prophet is troubled. Chapter 2, we see the prophet is taught. Now this is really cool. So we've got this troubled prophet, but now this troubled prophet is finally going to be taught. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. So when was he taught? I will stand upon my watch. I, 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 I don't know. God, I do not understand why you're doing this. And set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me. And what I shall answer when I am, oh, when I am, everyone together. What's the last word of verse one of chapter two? Reproved. Way to go, Habakkuk. So you know what Habakkuk went from? He went from being the teacher to being the student. My friend, you will never be taught by God until you stop being the teacher and start being the student. And I want to tell you, at 61 years of age, I'm the teacher. I'm the big man. I'm the teacher. You know what? I need to learn from my God still. And I don't have a corner. I've got this whole thing on God worked out. I've got this theology all worked out. Now, no, I don't. And I'm going to tell you, you will struggle with God as long as you keep being the teacher. You know what you need to do? You need to say, God, I need to stop being the teacher. And I need to start being the student. And if I'm going to start being the student, I need to zip the lip. And maybe instead of my, all my praying, maybe I start looking and doing some listening. I love this. This is so good. Look at verse 2. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision. Okay, now you're, I'm ready to teach you now. You were just, you were being the teacher, but now I, you're willing to be the student. I'm ready to teach you. And make it plain upon the tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Okay, I'm going to give you an answer. Now look at verse 4. This is probably the most popular verse that's most well-known in the entire book of Habakkuk. It's quoted twice in the New Testament, and it is also what they said started the fires of the Reformation with Martin Luther. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him. Now listen to this. But the just shall live, everyone together, by his faith. This is quoted in Galatians and Romans. The just shall live by his faith. Now this is really interesting. When was the prophet taught? Number one, when he stopped being the student. Number two, when he started to believe. When he started to have faith. Now here goes what I believe. Now you understand what his name means and I know understanding the book, that's the most important thing. But I want to give you right now the most important statement of this message. Faith must precede understanding. You got to believe before you will ever understand. The just shall live by knowledge. No. The just shall live by understanding. No. The just shall live by his what? Everyone together. You've got to have faith 
before you can have understanding. Some of you have struggled with God most of your adult life because you don't understand God. It's not about understanding. It's about believing. When he was willing to have faith, then God could give him understanding. I was 18 years old and I was a freshman at Bible college. It was a Saturday and I was out with a guy named Dave Schwanke. He's got a brother who's in evangelism named Paul Schwenke. I don't know if you've ever heard of him before. But Dave and I went to college together, and we were out door to door. Now, I've only probably been out door to door at this point maybe five, six times in my entire life. So we were doing every other door that we could talk to somebody. So Dave would do a door until he could talk to somebody, and then I have the next door until I could talk to someone. We were going back and forth. And we were walking through this neighborhood in, in Pensacola, Florida, and I come up to a door. And when I, it was my door, and when I come up to the door, it's open. The door is open. Now, it's not open all the way, but it's open quite a bit, enough to look in. So it's like I was going to knock, but I'm going like, well, the door's open, you know. And there, across the little foyer, it's a small home, across the little foyer, closer than where that rack is uh, back there, uh, I could see a man at a table. He was at a dining room table, and he had his head in his hands like this. And I said, good morning. My, my name is Jim. This is Dave. Could we talk to you for a minute? He doesn't do a thing. Well, then there's that kind of that uncomfortable five, ten seconds. And I said, well, Dave, I guess he's not going to. So I start turning around. Dave says, where are you going? Well, he's not letting us in. Dave says, the door's open. Yeah, but he didn't let us in. He said, you're going to let that person go to hell? And I go, okay, let's go in. So I walk in. I got my little, my God, simple plan of salvation track. And I, and I walk in. I walk over to the dining room table. He's just sitting there. I said, hi, I, I'm Jim. This is Dave. I wonder if we could talk to you for a minute. He has not recognized us yet, but I could, you know what? He just knew. This guy's not deaf. Something's going on in this guy's life. He's got his head in his hands and, and he's not doing anything. And Dave go, keep going, keep going. I, I pulled the chair up and I sat down. I took another one of the tracks and I took the one track and I pushed it over to him. And I started reading the track to him. About halfway through, we start getting close to the commitment question. What I believe is his wife, his wife walks out. Now she's looking right at us, but she ain't saying nothing. She comes in, sits down, and she's watching us. He's still got his head down in his eye. He has not looked at us, and we've probably been in there for three, four, five minutes. He has not looked at us yet. She's staring at us. I continue to read the track, and I get to the commitment question. Would you both like to ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior? And when I say those words, his head comes up, and he looks at me. And he says this. You explain that! And I'll accept your Jesus! Well, immediately we looked at what that was. And it was pointing down the hallway. It was the first time we looked down the hallway. We looked down the hallway, and at the end of the hallway, there's a room, there's a crib in the room. It's all painted yellow, and there's like one of those mobile things. Uh, Oh, hanging from the ceiling. And we look in there, and it's obviously a nursery. 
Now, I have no idea what that is. But my mind is like, oh, man, they had a stillbirth. Maybe it's a deformed. Maybe, there's, maybe the baby's died. Maybe there's something wrong with the baby. I don't, I don't know. But he said, you explain that, and I'll receive your Jesus. Now, I'm 18 years old. I'm a freshman at college, but I'm thinking one thing. If I could get them to understand why that happened, they would get saved today. They would get saved. If I could just show them, God, if I can explain to them what happened and why it happened, they'll get saved. Right, folks? No. They didn't need understanding. What did they need? Now, you hear me. They did not, if I could say, well, um, the reason why your baby died, one, uh, God wants your baby in heaven with him. Number two, the fruit of the womb is his reward. So really the baby's not yours, it's really God's. Uh, number three, he's going to spare your child from a lot of suffering because that happened. Number, if I would have said those things, then they would go, oh, boy, that's all we needed. We just needed to understand Let's receive Jesus now. Is that what would have happened, gang? No. No. Because they didn't need a why. They needed a who. They needed to say, God, I don't know why you did this, but I know that you're a loving God. And I know I can trust you. And God, I'm going to hold on to you. My friend, we are not saved by what we know. We are saved by what we believe. By our faith in Christ. It is about who. It is not about why. And I will tell you, you will struggle with your Christian life if you think you've got to know why to everything. Faith must precede understanding. Brother Shetler, what ended up happening to the couple? I don't know. But once he did that, they both started crying. And we just looked at each other. Finally, we got up from the table and walked out. Boy, is that sad. I know. But they believed they had to have understanding. My friend, you got to have faith. The whole struggle with Habakkuk was, God, why are you doing this? But in chapter 2, Habakkuk says, you know what? I don't need to know why. I just need to hold on to you. I need to trust you. So let me tell you the rest of the book. It's very simple. The rest of the book is really praise to God. Look at chapter 2, verse 20 for just a moment. But the Lord is in his holy temple. I love this. Let all the earth shut up, otherwise known as silence, before him. You know what he says? By the way, do you know what the Hebrew word for, uh, for quiet is? To get quiet? Sheket. That's the Hebrew word. Let all the earth sheket. Just be quiet and let him be God. That, I think, now everyone will tell you, every scholar will tell you, the key verse of the book of Habakkuk is Habakkuk 2.4. I understand that, but I think verse 20, to me, is like my key verse to this book. Because I think in verse 20, he says, you know what? Let God be holy on his throne. You know what? Let's let God be God. And let's be quiet and let's just trust him. Because he knows what he's doing, folks. 
He is a holy God. He's a sovereign God. He's a wise God. He's a loving God. He knows what he's doing. Why don't we just be quiet and let the holy God be sovereign? Amen? Man. Then we come to chapter 3. And chapter 3 is a psalm. Now, you guys have been doing really good helping me. I just want to tell you, you guys are just doing super. I need you to help me one more time. You all ready? Here we go. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon everyone together. (laughs) I don't know what that word is. The word is shiganoth. Shiganoth. Can you all practice that one? Shiganoth. So you learned a little Hebrew. What in the world does it mean? Well, our sister kind of did it. It is a loud praise on a stringed instrument. Is Shiganoth is a loud praise on a stringed instrument. And in other words, he's given a psalm here. He's given a praise. Oh, Lord, I have heard thy speech, and I was afraid. Oh, Lord, don't you love this verse? Revive thy work in the midst of the years. That's a good verse for you guys at Eagle Heights. Oh, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known... Well, look at this. In wrath, remember mercy. Where did he do that, by the way? Habakkuk got his prayers answered. In wrath, remember mercy. Somebody, where did that happen? Where? Where? Oh, the Chaldeans. Yeah, he does. Because he spares Israel. That is a very true answer. But there is another place in history. That in wrath, he remembers mercy. The cross. That happens at Calvary. God pours his wrath on his son, but remembers mercy on his creation. Whoa, that's good stuff. Okay, so then, chapter 3. So chapter 1, why was the prophet troubled? Chapter 2, when was the prophet taught? And chapter 3, who does the prophet trust? And this is a psalm to God about who God is, his power, his might, his wisdom, and the whole chapter is really good. But let's go to the verse 17 we'll be done. So here's what he says at the end. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. Guys, this is so good. The labor of the olives shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Okay, in other words, I can't see nothing that's good. There is nothing good going on. Where some people would go, where are you? You know what, Brother Shelley, you're talking about why. I kind of want to know where. Where are you, God? Why is all this happening? Years ago, I love to tell this story. Years ago, it was at Christmas time. And um, I wanted to surprise my wife. And my wife would tell people that we didn't have a bed. I don't know why she would lie like that. We had a bed. And, um, it, it, and I would say, Marilee, why do you tell people we don't have a bed? And she would say, because we don't have one. I said, Marilee, we sleep every night on a bed. Why? But she said, that's not a bed. So one day she went out, we went out to a furniture store and she showed me beds. I thought, we don't have a bed. She showed me sleigh beds. She showed me four-corner post beds. And, and it was like, wow, those are beds. Yeah, she says, we don't have one. I said, well, did you look at the price? I'm just telling you, we don't have one of those. So I surprised my wife one Christmas. 
I went out and bought her a bed at Thanksgiving. But I couldn't keep the bed at the furniture store, so I had to, they wouldn't let me, so I had to take it over to my neighbor's and keep it in his garage till Christmas Eve. So about a week before Christmas, Marilee says to me, she says, Jim, this year for the boys, we got three boys, she said, this year for the boys, I want to do a kind of a cowboy Indian theme for the three guys. And she said, I want to build like some teepees and like a little Fort Apache thing, and we'll get them guns and bows and arrows. And I thought that was really good, really cool. And she said, but Jim, when the boys go to sleep on Christmas Eve, I need you to help me. Help you what? I need you to help me make the teepees, and I need you to help me make Fort Apache. Now, my wife does great with decorations, and she's so creative. She does all the events at the college and everything. But I'm going like, yeah, but I'm not there. She says, you got it. Will you help me? And I go... Yeah, but I'm thinking to myself, i got to get that bed together. And I said, okay, yeah, I'll help you. Yeah, I'll help you. So Christmas Eve comes, and um, we do the thing. We do all our little traditions. We do my homemade chili, and we watch It's a Wonderful Life, and we open one present, and we read the Christmas story, and the boys go off to bed. Well, I'm thinking, i got to get the, where the, the neighbors. i got to get the bed. And she says, Jim, let's start making the teepee now. Yeah, yeah, let's start making the teepee. So we start, we got these poles and everything. She's got all the canvas and she's, you know, we're making the teepee and we got to make Fort Apache yet. And I'm thinking, I got to get that bed together. I got to get that bed together. So I, I, I help her for about 15, 20 minutes. And I say, hey, honey, I, I got to go for a bit. Where are you going? I, I just, I got I to gotta go for a minute. I, I, I just, I got to go do it. Jim, you promised me. I, I know, I know, but, but I just, I, I just got to go for just a, Jim. You said that you would help me with the teepees in the fort. Yeah, I know, I know, but I just got to go. Well, you better make it quick. So I, I go in there. I'm going, oh, man. I go back to my bedroom. There's a door in our bedroom that goes outside. So I run out the door, run over to the neighbor. I say, hey, can you help me for a minute? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's late Christmas Eve. The guy helps me with the bed, brings the bed over. I get the bed set up, but it takes about 45 minutes. I got a brand new comforter. I got the four-corner post bed up. It looks just beautiful. But it's been about 45 minutes. And I open the door to the hallway, and I say, Marilee, Jim, are you still up? Yeah, honey, could you come here for a minute? No. Can you come here and help me finish? No, no, Marilee, could you come here for a second? I want to show you. No. You get in here right now and do what you said you were going to do. Marilee, could you come here for just a second? And she says, no. Marilee, please. My wife starts walking down the hallway. She's got her finger like this, and as long as I live, I hope I never forget this. She's going, where have you been? What have you been doing? Here I've been going. I said, come here, honey, come here. She says, I've been out here. And she's, she's pointing that finger at me, and she goes, where have, what have you been doing? And she comes down the hallway, and I'm standing at the door, and she says, Jim, why haven't you been helping me? Where? And she looks in the room. I said, Merry Christmas, honey. Oh, Jim, that is the nicest, that is the best surprise you have ever given me. Oh, Jim. So she hugs me and everything, and then she says, oh, I was so mad at you. She says, I'm putting together Fort Apache. And he said, he said he would help me. He said he would help me. And I was so mad at you, Jim. I go like, where did he go? And the whole time you were putting my bed together. Hey, can I tell you something? We go through our life, and we say, God, 
why are you doing this? God, where are you? You know where he is? He's putting your bed together, man. He's in the back putting your bed together. He's putting it all together. God's doing a great thing. Why don't you be quiet and let him be God? But we're like, God, where are you and why are you doing this? Why don't you just trust him? Because he's got great things planned for you. Would you look at the... See, there's nothing there. There's, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall there be fruit in the... There's nothing anywhere. Verse 18, yet I will... Everyone together, what's the next word? Rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Come on, we're getting close to resurrection day. Man alive. Oh, God, why this? And where are you? Well, I'll tell you where I'm not. I'm not in a tomb. I'm alive. And you ought to be thankful for that. Man, we are struggling so much with our God when we ought to be rejoicing in who God is. Don't you love verse 19? The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hind's feet. Now, he's going to take me to places I've never been. And he will make me to walk upon my high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Wow. God, I don't know where you are sometimes. And I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. But I have total faith that you're putting my bed together. God, you got good things planned for me. The thoughts that you have for me are good thoughts. And Lord, I'm just going to trust you. If you're here today, and maybe you're visiting, and maybe you've never come to Christ, you look back over your life and say, you know what, I came to church today trying to figure out a why. You know, I thought I would try church because I cannot, I got to tell you, I got things going on in my life. I've done things. Why did God allow this? Why did this happen in my life? Why this? Why that? Some of you have never come to Christ as your Savior. Can I just share this with you? You don't need to leave Eagle Heights Baptist Church today with a why answer. But that's why I came. I came for some answers. Maybe church will give them to you. Nah, no church is going to give you the answers. But I will tell you what Eagle Heights will give you. We'll present to you the living Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you've never received him, you don't need an answer to your question. You need Christ as your Savior. And you need to ask Christ by faith. Well, if, if I could explain this, I would become a Christian. Well, then can I tell you this? You are never going to get saved. Because it's not about understanding. It's about trusting God. And you're going to have to come to the point in your life, and if you're an adult and you haven't done this, it gets harder with every year of life because you get more skeptical and you want more evidence and it's, guys, it's not about evidence. And you're here today and you're not saved. You're going to have to put your trust in Christ. And you're going to have to say, you know what, God, I know what I am and I know who you are. And I believe that Christ came and died for me on that cross and rose again. And I don't understand it all. I don't understand why God would even love me after my life. But I'm going to believe in Jesus. And you ask Christ to be your Savior by faith. If you're here today and you say, Brother Shuttler, I've done that then I'm going to ask you to do something. Will you trust God for that why thing right now in your life? And I don't care if you're a 13-year-old girl, or I don't care if you're a 30-year-old man, or I don't care if you're a senior saint. There are things that probably you need to start becoming the student and stop being the teacher. And today, 
down at an altar. You just need to say, dear God, I just need to trust you. I just need to trust you. God, I'm going to start doing this. And I got to start doing this. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Our piano player is going to play Have Thine Own Way, Lord. And when you hear the first note of that piano, I'm going to ask you to do something. Pastor Joe's going to be down front here. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to come forward. And if you're a believer, you know you're saved, but you have been struggling about a why. You need to leave the why here, and you need to go back to your seat holding on to Jesus. And you need to get up from your seat and just say, Dear God, this guy has no idea what's going on in my life, but Lord, I'm tired of struggling with you, and I'm ready to start holding on to you. God, I so badly need to stop fighting and start believing. Maybe you're a husband, maybe you're a wife, maybe you're a parent, maybe you're a child. Maybe you're struggling with your parents. Guys, let it go, young people. Let it go and just say, you know what? I'm going to trust God. Maybe you're here today and you go, Brother Shetler, there would be no way that you would have known, but the God knew. And I got to tell you, I have been fighting my God and today I want to hold on to him. I want to embrace him. And I want to trust in him. Let me encourage you to take a step of faith. Step on out. By the way, it may be an encouragement to somebody else. But to come. If you're here today and you would say, listen, I'm visiting today. Or maybe you're, you're, you know, I don't know who you are. But you'd say, honestly, Jim, I don't think I've ever trusted Christ. I don't believe I've ever received him and trusted him like you're talking about today. And I need to get saved. Man, I got to tell you, I came with a bunch of questions, but I need to leave with a person. I got a lot of problems, but I need the person of Jesus Christ. God spoke to your heart. Would you come grab a hold of my hand and say, hey, would you pray with me? I need to trust the Lord. If you're a believer, we're going to stand in just a moment. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. I'm going to ask you to step on out and come down and give it over to God and say, God, I'm not going to fight you no more. I'm going to hold on to you for everything I got. I don't need to know why. I just need to trust you and who you are. Let's stand to our feet. God spoke to your heart. You come. If you're here today and you need to get saved, come on down and see me. I'd love to go out with you.